This morning's scripture is Romans 15, 1 through 13. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who approached you fell on me. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, Therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. And again it is said, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples extol him. And again Isaiah says, The root of Jesse will come, even he who arises to, the, to rule the Gentiles. In him will the Gentiles hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. Thank you, Wes. Good morning, brothers and sisters. Great to be with you this morning. Great to celebrate with you. And I, I know what you're thinking right now. Some of you are going, this just feels a little weird. We should sing a little bit more before we dive into God's Word. I know what you're thinking. And some of you are thinking, Pastor Mike has a trick here. He's really going to preach about 60 minutes. I know what's going on. We're not going to sing. But here's what's going to happen. We're going to walk through Romans 15 together, the first few verses. And then we've set aside, just as Josh said at the beginning, we're going to let the Word of God inform our corporate singing. And sing as the Word of God guides us uh, in just a few minutes. So go ahead and open your Bibles if you haven't already. Romans 15. We're continuing on in this series in the incredible book of Romans. We began way, way back in January. We've got four more weeks in Romans, and then we're going to wrap up the book of Romans. Then we'll have a couple weeks, Neighbors and Nations. We're going to focus on God's activity here and the ends of the earth. And then it's going to be Advent time. That's right. Christmas is right around the corner. So that's going to kind of wrap us up for this year. Uh, but this morning, uh, Romans 15. If you need a Bible, there's one in the seat pocket in front of you. And, and we're continuing on with really a theme that uh, Pastor Paul led us in a couple weeks uh, that the Apostle Paul is focused on. That's the unity of this church there in Rome. Now remember, the book of Romans is a letter from the Apostle Paul to a group of believers, a lot like us. They're there in the city of Rome, and he's aware of some potential stumbling blocks when it comes to the unity of this local church. And it's a big concern for the Apostle Paul. Now we're going to carry that over to chapter 15. That theme kind of continues. And I want to really just begin this way. Talk about the idea of biblical unity a little bit. But here's a verse. Psalm 133.1. I think we can all resonate with this verse. It says this. How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. And all God's people said amen to that. Right? If you've been a part of a church for any amount of time or you've been part of the people of God, you've, you've known Christ for any amount of time. When 
brothers and sisters in Christ are living out the unity we have in Christ, it is a glorious thing. I can just say in 20 years of ministry and pastoring local churches and majority of that, most of that time here, I, one of the great joys of my life is to see men and women who are from diverse backgrounds and diverse upbringings. And man, they got nothing in common, but they have a deep oneness and love for one another simply because of Jesus Christ. That's a beautiful thing. Remember when we were in Vegas at our church out there and we were going to be a part of starting Hope. The, the example of that for me over and over, and my wife knows this example. There were two guys. One's guy, one guy's name was Tom, and he was straight-laced Tom, man. He was Thai, and he was a businessman, and he was straight as, as an arrow, and very professional, clean-cut. I mean, he had the Baptist part and everything. You know what I'm talking about. And one of his best friends in the church, man, they just lived life together, was a former biker dude. And this guy's name was Wolf. <laughs> So you had Tom and Wolf, and Wolf wore the leather, and he wore the chains, and Jesus had redeemed Wolf, and he was a different man. These guys had absolutely nothing in common, but man, they deeply loved one another because of what Jesus had done in their lives. That's a beautiful thing. The same count, you and I, I think, can all resonate with some deep heartache can be experienced as a part of a local church when you see brothers and sisters in Christ dividing or experiencing disunity or uh, grouping or uh, labeling one another or whatever it is over simply non-essential issues or things that just don't matter. Man, that's heartbreak. Again, as a pastor for over 20 years, when you see brothers and sisters dividing over things that you look at and you go, are you, are you serious? Man, it's just heartbreak. So Paul has the heart of an apostle here and the heart of a pastor. And he's thinking about these brothers and sisters there in Rome, a church he's not even traveled to yet. But he's, he's wanting to avoid as best he can this disunity that ultimately dishonors God. Now, when we talk about unity this morning, I do want to make sure that we avoid some extremes. So even as we talked last few weeks, Paul led us through. Now, this week, I want us to make sure when we say the word unity, we're not talking about just the absence of conflict. So everything's good. I think everything's going well. I'm not fighting with anybody. I'm not arguing with anybody. There's no confrontation. There's no challenge going on. Listen, if there's no challenge going on in your life, that's not even biblical unity. And we're not talking about the kind of unity at the expense of truth. Did everybody hear that? Because listen, brothers and sisters, as Christians who build our lives on the Word of God, if we punt the truth, we got nothing to unify around. So we're not talking about that kind of unity. And watch this. Nor are we talking about the kind of unity that's on this extreme that's really a cult-like unity, right? That, that's really uniformity, which means I got to look like you, dress like you, talk like you, think like you. Man, I got to be your little clone, and that's biblical unity. That's not biblical unity. That's cult like uniformity. That's not what the Bible's calling us to. It's this massive diversity of bringing people together and unifying them around gospel realities. Biblical unity can be defined like this it's oneness shared among born again believers. Oneness shared among born-again believers because of commonly held gospel realities. 
The reason I'm one with some of you in this room who know Jesus, the reason we have a biblical unity is because we share some things in common. We got the same Lord. We got the same spirit living within us. We got the same Bible that God's alive. We got the same future in Christ. We got the same inheritance. We got the same adoption. We got the same Father. All that was purchased by Christ. It's gospel realities in our life that unify us, that makes us one. Now, Ephesians 4 talks about this. I'll do this just as a sake of example really quick. Ephesians 4 says this, talking about the unity of the church, says, make every effort to keep the unity. Another translation says, be diligent, or in other words, we have this oneness as believers that is true of us because we're in Christ, but it takes effort to live that unity out. <laughs> it takes work. It takes sacrifice. That's what Paul's been talking about in Romans 14, of this expressions of love, of laying down my privileges sometimes, and my preferences sometimes, and maybe even my freedoms for your sake. Maintaining this kind of unity, fighting, if you will, to live out this kind of unity. Paul says, be diligent. And then he defines it, verse 4, he says, there's one body, one spirit, just as you were called, and one hope, one Lord, verse 5, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father and all, who was over all and through all and in all. Man, there's a unity we share as believers. But the reality is we ourselves in our flesh are prone to disrupt this unity. Amen? One of you. The rest of you just lied. <laughs> in my flesh, I am prone to be selfish. And selfishness disrupts the unity that we have in Christ. You get that? I'm a selfish dude, and I'm looking at a bunch of selfish people. But the Spirit of God in us turns selfishness. We die to that selfishness and live to the power of the Spirit, which is called love. Opposite of love is not hate. Opposite of love is selfishness. Selfishness wars against this kind of unity. Let me give you an example. See if you can figure out what's going on here. This is another letter from Paul written to another church, a church at Philippi. Let's see if we can figure this out. Uh, Philippians 4.2, he says... I urge Euodia, which I, I think is a female, and I urge Syntyche to live in harmony in the Lord. Anybody know what's going on there? I'll tell you what I think is going on there. There's a couple of ladies in the church. These were even significant women in the church who were leading the church, and they flat just couldn't get along. And there was discord in the church. And Paul was so concerned about it. He said, listen, can you get Euodia and can you get Syntyche to quit being so doggone selfish and fight for the unity of the body of Christ? Can anybody relate to that? Please, no finger pointing right now, okay? Maybe later. In our flesh, we tend to disrupt this kind of unity. So Paul knows that, and Paul's deeply concerned about the church at Rome. And he writes Romans 14, talking about these differences that exist there. He said you've got those that are weak in faith, and you've got those that are strong in faith. That's what we've been looking at the last couple of weeks. And he said there's some potential stumbling blocks there between those that are strong 
those that understand the expression of the gospel in their lives, that I'm not bound to those old dietary laws anymore. I'm not bound to those old Sabbath day laws anymore. Particularly Jewish believers, I'm free in Christ. Jesus has pronounced all foods clean, the gospel of Mark says. It says you don't regard one day above another. Jesus is our Sabbath. And there was an understanding among some of that of their freedom in Christ. Paul says they were strong in faith. Paul says you also have some in the church who were weak in faith, meaning some of these things that they'd grown up with, especially in their Jewish upbringing, man, they just couldn't let go of. And he says they, they haven't begun to express their faith and the expression of the gospel that they can be free from these dietary ceremonial things. They can be free from these expectations of Sabbath day rituals and rules and all that. But they're not there yet. So you begin to have the strong and the weak and there were these divisions within the church and Paul walks, walks us through and there's great implications and applications for us. So Romans 15.1. Let's talk about this unity within the church that we are to be diligent to fight for. We have it because of the gospel. What does it look like? Paul 15.1 says this. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings or better translation, weaknesses of the weak and not merely to please ourselves. Paul says those that are mature, those that are growing in the gospel, they understand things in this particular context. Man, all those ceremonial laws of the Old Testament, those are gone now in Christ. A piece of pork, it's just a piece of meat. Everybody got that? Just a piece of meat? But to some who had brought up with all these ceremonial minds, they don't see it as a piece of pork. They see it as an, as an issue of their relationship with God. So they had some folks over to have life group together and they brought some Jews and Gentiles together and the Jews said, wait a minute, I hope we're not having pork chops at life group because if we are, I can't even be there. I'm out of here. I'm gone. And those who just saw it like a piece of meat said, what? Are you kidding me? Come on, man. It's just pork chops. Paul deals with these things. He says, okay, you who are strong, you have an obligation to bear with. The word bear with is the idea literally to pick up and carry. You have an obligation to help that person's faith grow and develop and mature. The human reaction is, you said what? You see it that way? Man, I am so godly. I'm, I'm done with this ungodly person. Grow up, man. Paul says, no, no, you have an obligation as those who are strong to bear up under, to bear with, to walk with those who are still, they're growing in their understanding of the gospel and not merely to please yourselves. Verse 2, let each of us please his neighbor for his good, to build him up. Paul says, here's the extension of that. It's not about pleasing yourself. It's not about living out your own freedoms, which you have in Christ. The question you now ask when it comes, what's this? To your time, your resources, how you spend your money, how you allot your energies, is not, do I have the freedom to do this, which I may in Christ do it, does this build up my brother or sister in Christ? Is the way I'm going to spend my time and allot my energies and my resources. Now, Paul says those who are strong for this finding of the unity of the church, it's, does this build up 
John and Joe and Lisa and Debbie and those in the body of Christ with whom I am now united in Christ. It's not just about my own pleasures or my own preferences or my own freedoms. How can I build up others in the body of Christ? That's a game changer, by the way, for the way we make decisions. Am I building others up? Or am I living out of my selfishness, which I'm prone to do? Love builds up. All right, so that's the command. Paul says, listen, you're strong. You're to build up, to bear with those who are weak within the body of Christ. And he says, okay, so what's an example of that, verse 3? Paul says, let me give you the example of that. He goes on, he says, 4, verse 3. The word for is that, you know, it's there. here's the theological basis of this. For Jesus, Christ, did not please himself. Here's an example of the way fellowship is lived out and unity is lived out in the local church. is Jesus himself. He says, but as it is written, he's going to go and pull an Old Testament illustration from the book of Psalms, a messianic verse that's pointing to Jesus and say this, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me, speaking of Jesus. Now what in the world does that mean? In other words, Paul is saying from the Word of God, we receive tremendous encouragement about the way true unity and love and fellowship plays its way out in the body of Christ by looking at Jesus. In other words, Jesus was not motivated, Paul says, by merely pleasing himself or his own preferences, but by building us up. He took on reproaches. He took on shame. He took on inconveniences. He took on discomforts. Do you think it was convenient to step out of glory and put on humanity? That's what Paul's saying. Do you think Jesus, in his love and building up of us, the church, took on some things that he didn't prefer and he didn't care for. I guarantee he didn't just love hanging out with Peter every day. The point is, the picture is Jesus, who in this type of unity that Paul is praying for is the example. He laid aside some privileges, he laid aside some preferences, he laid aside some comforts, and he took on reproach, he took on burdens, he took on responsibilities, inconveniences, discomforts. Why? Because, man, he wanted to build others up, which equals love. See that? So that's what Paul is calling this church here at Rome to and what the Bible is calling us to. Where, where Be diligent to preserve. Be diligent to fight for the unity that we already have in Christ to live it out into everyday lives. Knowing, confession, ready? That we all tend to selfishness which fights against this kind of unity. We all do. I do. All right, Pastor Mike, so I see that. I see the command Paul gives us there. I see the example that is Christ. And now, as believers, that Christ is in us. But how do I continue? How do I endure in this? Verse 4, Paul says, okay, let me give you some help for whatever was written. He's going back and alluding to the Old Testament scriptures primarily here. And he says, okay, let me just remind you. All that was written, he's just quoted the Old Testament, verse 3. And then he reminds, he says, all that was written in former days, it has been written for our instruction. Every word of scripture is instructive for you and me today. Every word of scripture is from the mouth of God. He says that through endurance... 
And through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. What does the scripture provide in our lives here according to Paul? Endurance and encouragement, right? Anybody need some endurance? Anybody in the middle of relationship struggles within the body of Christ, and you got to be real honest, before God, I, I, I'm trying to pursue self, selfless sacrifice and laying down my life, and I'm trying to build up others, and it is hard as all get out, and there's folks around me I don't get along with, and I don't necessarily like them, and I went to that life group, and everybody in that life group is just weird. And I went to another life group, and everybody in that life group was just weird. And I went to another life group, and everybody in that life group was just weird. The common denominator by that, in that, by the way, is you, not the life group. You see that? And how do I continue to endure? Paul says, the scriptures, when you bury your life in the word of God, provides endurance. And encouragement from the word of God. I would say Paul's even concluding here. You're not going to be able to live out this kind of unity in the messiness of the lives of people if your life is not built and buried and saturated with God's word. The encouragement. The endurance given by the word of God that gives us hope. Our future and the way we see the future is dictated by the promises of God. Says this word gives us, this is how we continue in the word. And then you get to verse 5, and he says, okay, Paul, I, I get all this that you're talking about, and you're making such a big deal about the way the church lives out this unity. What, Paul, is the big deal? I mean, you've had to read through the Bible before and see all the illustrations to unity and how we get along and how we love one another and all the one another's of the New Testament and all these things that are lived out. Okay, Paul, what is the big deal? Verse 5. Paul here is going to give you a prayer that's going to last three verses. And this is the heart of the Apostle Paul for this local church, for all local churches, if you will. And I'll just say, if you want to know how to pray for your local church and you want to know how to pray for Tri-Cities, especially if you're in any role of leadership here whatsoever, man, you're not going to do better than 15, 5 through 7 here. Paul says, may the God of endurance... This is prayer language from the Apostle Paul. He says, may the God of endurance, we just heard about that in verse 4 from the Scriptures, and encouragement, same idea, grant you. Paul is saying this type of unity is supernatural. You don't structure it necessarily. It is a supernatural favor from the Lord. He says, grant you to live in an ongoing manner in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus. Why, Paul? That together you, and that you is plural, by the way, so it would be like this, you and you all, all you, all of you, right? everybody, that all of you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now let this land on you. Paul's taking it here to the point. Verse 7, therefore, welcome, receive, we'll talk about that in a minute, one another as Christ has welcomed you. Why, Paul? For the glory of God. Paul has now taken this issue of the way we sacrifice, of the way we live out love for one another, of the way we build up one another as the body of Christ as believers. He's now made it a glory of God issue ultimately. 
And here's your big truth that's going to guide us for the rest of the day. You say, man, we've been going for like 20 minutes and we're just now getting to the big truth. I, I know, hang on, we're all right. Here's your big truth that I think Paul's hammering home here. It's this. God is glorified when his people live together in unity. Brothers and sisters, I pray that falls on you that when we're making decisions as people of God about how we treat, how we relate, how we spend our time, how we invest, how we love one another, it's ultimately not even about you. It's about the glory of God on display in the world. See, the word glory here, it can be a junk drawer term that we use so much in the church. We just kind of, oh yeah, glory of God. Okay, I, I, not even meditate, even think a minute what the word glory here means. The, the word glory here means it, thought to cause a good opinion about something, to, to change or shift the way someone sees something. In other words, Paul is saying, live in such a harmony with Christ as the center and with one voice that the world sees God differently. The world is to be able to peer into the church and see this sacrificial, supernatural, Christ-like, God-honoring love and determine the God of those people must be incredible. So when we're making decisions about how we relate to one another and how we spend our time and how we lay down our preferences and how, how we unite as the body of Christ, understand the world is going to see who God is by the way the body of Christ relates to one another in love. It's a glory of God issue. And Paul says, therefore, it's of massive, massive significance. How we love one another, bearing with one another in our failings, how we sacrifice for one another, laying down our preferences, how we give our time, how we give our resources, all of these things. Paul says, listen, it's a glory of God issue. So therefore, you see why Paul makes such a big deal about it and why the Bible makes such a big deal about it. When Jesus was on the earth, we know he was the perfect image of God. Now his body is here as the visible image of how God is the nature of God for the world to see. God is on display through how believers love and serve and sacrifice and give and lay down our lives and build one another up in selfless love. The big truth, God is glorified when his people live together in unity. Now, here's what we're going to do. Time that's remaining. I'm going to give you about three big ideas that's going to flow out of these next few verses. And then we're going to come together with one voice flowing out of the scriptures. And we're going to worship together. And we're going to sing together as the Bible prescribes here. So verse 7. Let me give you big idea number one that flows out of this. So when we live together in unity, the gospel is on display. What does that mean? Look at verse 7. Therefore, Paul says, welcome one another. How? As Christ has welcomed you. For what end? The glory of God. So when we live in unity with one another, the gospel of Christ is on display. What does that mean? The word welcome here is more than, it's not standing at door, you know, pulling the door open. Well, welcome, come on in. It's a whole lot more than that. The word welcome literally means to take to oneself, 
To bring into fellowship with yourself. It means companionship, union. It is what God has done in your life and my life through faith in His Son, Jesus Christ. Christ taking your sin upon Himself and paying the price for all of your sin so that you could be in communion with God. God has welcomed you because of Christ. And Paul is saying, when you get a grasp of the extent of the gospel in your life, then you're going to treat others within the body of Christ completely different. It's a gospel issue. When you realize, in the midst of all my failings, when you realize I brought nothing to the table, when you realize God demonstrated his love for me while I was yet a sinner, it changes the way you deal with those who get on your nerves and those who have weaknesses and those who have failings, as he says in chapter 1. It's a gospel issue as well. And Paul says, when we love one another this way, man, you're putting the gospel on display. How can he love like that? Because he knows the love of God. How can he overlook those weaknesses and those failings and those things that just annoy the fire out of me? Because he's been accepted by God. Because he knows who he is in Christ. And the amount that he has received, the acceptance and the love, because of the sacrifice and death of Jesus, God did not wink at my sin. He bore my sin and brought me into fellowship. And in the same way Paul says, welcome one another as God has welcomed you or Christ has welcomed you. And that's to the glory of God. Beautiful thing. Tim Keller says this, which I think is a really good takeaway. He says, therefore, for a person without a good grasp of the gospel, differences of opinion and practice are huge and insurmountable. Sometimes little things in the church that divide us that are absolutely unnecessary. And we may think, man, I just can't get over that. Well, that's just too much. Well, I can't get around that thing. Often it's we don't understand all that has been done to bring us into fellowship with God. As Christ has welcomed you. See that? So this unity thing is a glory issue. It's a gospel issue. Big idea number two is this. When we live together in unity, God's global plan is on display. We realize it's a whole lot more than just our local church. We realize that the Bible is a story of God bringing people of great diversity, different backgrounds, different cultures, different nationalities into one family. That's his plan from the beginning. Look at verse 8. For I tell you, Paul says, that Christ became a servant to the circumcised, that's the Jews, Israel, to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs. What in the world does that mean? God made a promise to Abraham and the other patriarchs, I'm going to build you a people. There's going to be a people. I'm going to redeem those people by faith. But it didn't stop with just the Jews. Paul goes on, he says, verse 9, and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. God chose the covenant promises given to Abraham. By the way, they weren't for Gentiles, they were for Jews. But God in his mercy has grafted us in. Remember that? Romans 9 through 11. Picture of mercy. And in this family of God, you've got the promises of God lived out. You're going to be a people. You're going to be a redeemed people. I'm going to give you a hope and a future and a kingdom. And by the way, even outside of the nation of Israel, I'm going to bring in and graft in the Gentiles. This promise is for the world. 
And that was God's plan from the beginning, verse 10. And again it is said, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. He quotes Deuteronomy, verse 11. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples extol him, verse 12. And again, I'll quote Isaiah, the root of Jesse will come, even he who arises to rule the Gentiles, in him the Gentiles will hope. What's the point here? When we live out the fellowship we have in Christ, we are putting on display God's plan of all the ages. That from these diverse people from all over the world, He brings us into one family for His glory and for His honor. He's promised He would do it. So when we live in this kind of unity, we pursue this kind of unity, we're declaring God keeps His promises. We're holding out the glory of who God is. We're demonstrating the gospel we accept in the way we have been accepted in God through, through the Lord Jesus Christ. John MacArthur said the diversity of the church displays Christ's power to bring together dissimilar people in genuine unity. <laughs> so for us to say things like, you know what, I just can't get along though, so-and-so. You know what? They're a good person, and here's what we always say. And they're in the body of Christ, and they're a fellow believer. I just can't get along with old so-and-so. Bless their heart, right? Like that covers everything. And, and, I, and I, here's what the Bible says. That's a gospel issue, and God from the beginning of time has said, you and even old so-and-so in Christ, even though you're different, even though you share nothing in common, you are to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ because you share Christ in common. And Christ, the Lord Jesus, supersedes all those other silly little differences that we have. God is glorified when his people live together in unity. When we live in unity, the gospel is on display. When we live together in unity, God's global plan is on display. And then thirdly, and we'll close here. When God's people live together in unity, living it out, this oneness that we share because of the gospel, when we live that out, we are declaring that Jesus is Lord. Listen, brothers and sisters, this is a beautiful thing. Now go back up to verse 5. I want to dig down in these few verses, and then we're going to spend some time in worship together. Again, this is the prayer, verses 5 and 6, of the Apostle Paul for this church. I mean, the words and the the desire is so, so precious here. He says, The God of endurance and encouragement, I'm praying that he grants you to live in this kind of harmony. Harmony is the idea of one mind, a consistent way of thinking, not clones, that's not what he's saying, but one mind. There's a unifying manner of thought there. There's a unifying truth around which binds us together. He says, with one another. What is at the center of our unity as a local church and as believers? He goes on, he says, in accord with Christ Jesus. And he says, the center of our unity that we all rotate around, and even better to say, bow our knee in submission, is that all these voices that are doing our own thing unify in submission to one Lord. That Jesus is seen as supreme. His word is our authority. His will becomes our life. His purposes become our purposes. And man, we're not unified because we have so much in common. Roger, I'll use him as another example. If you know Roger and me, we don't have a whole lot in common, right? 
He loves wearing a tie to church. I don't really like wearing a tie. That's okay, Roger. Here's the point. Man, we got something eternally significant. It is the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And when we can fight for that unity and we immerse ourselves in the word of God and our heart is changed from our own thinking and my own voice to one voice, it is because Jesus Christ is Lord of our lives. Watch this. So Paul says that I pray you are granted this kind of unity, but here's the way you seek it. By seeking to live in accord with Jesus Christ. Here's what that means. Tim Keller says it great. I'll quote him. Unity does not come when we seek it. Rather, it is a byproduct of seeking to follow Jesus Christ. So out of our abiding relationship with Jesus, out of our time in his word, out of a place of repentance and brokenness and a living sacrifice, there is a dying to self and a submission to Jesus. And with Jesus at the center, we experience the kind of unity God is calling us to experience. It's about following Christ. Christ is at the center. And he says that together you may with one voice Glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, if our lives are characterized by ongoing patterns of discord, ongoing patterns of division, ongoing patterns of disunity, lack of pursuit of biblical fellowship in community, and we're just passive about all that, it's not really a unity issue. It's a lordship of Christ issue. Because when Jesus is the center, and when our mind is informed by his word, we're going to yearn and desire the things that he yearns for and he desires. We can have one voice. And there's a oneness around the person of Jesus Christ. Amen? Now listen. I want to end with an illustration a little bit. I think it's going to help us see this. This idea of one voice around one Lord. And that's what brings us together. Left to ourselves, we just kind of do our own thing. right? We, We know that. But Christ unifies us under his lordship. Anybody ever been to a symphony orchestra? I mean, you all know it. We're East Tennessee, but it's, yeah, you all know what that is, right? Symphony Orchestra. So Symphony Orchestra is made up of hundreds of different instruments, right? And they're very unique, and they're very different. And if you go early to a performance of a Symphony Orchestra, you know what they do for like the first 30 minutes? They're all tuning up, right? So if you walk in, you sit down, you're hearing all these different instruments, and they're just all doing their own thing. And you got the oboe over here doing its thing, and whatever an oboe does. And you got the violin over here doing its thing, and the tuba's doing its thing, and the drums. It is so disunifying. It's just the picture and the sound of discord. Everyone is doing their own thing. I want you to hear the sound of disunity. Ready? Go ahead and play that. kind of painful wasn't it 
That's all these different instruments doing their own thing. They're, they're tuning their own instrument. They're reading off their own sheet of music. It's not going anywhere. There's no unity to it. Everything changes when the conductor steps on stage. And every eye turns to the conductor. Every heart is focused on him. They're going to unify around his leadership, his direction, his guidance. He's in charge. And then all these multitude of instruments unify to play one beautiful piece of music. Listen to this. I choose option B, right? The difference between those two is one, there is a conductor who's calling the shots. We are a people of many voices, of many gifts, of many backgrounds. And Paul is saying, here's what I'm praying for you, that you will in one accord, in submission to the lordship of King Jesus, declare his greatness and the glory of God with one unified voice around Jesus. That's what he's calling us to here. And this kind of unity that was purchased for us in Christ is lived out as we pursue one another, as we sacrifice for one another, as we submit to one another, as we yield for one another. And then corporately, Paul says, one voice, glorify God. It's probably an allusion to even when we come together in corporate worship like this, when we sing together, it is putting on display the oneness that we share so it's not about whether we not like the songs or not. It's that in one voice we are demonstrating the lordship of Jesus with our voice. And that's why we sing. That's why the people of God sing and declare the lordship of Jesus Christ. So here's what we're going to do. The next few minutes we're just going to sing truth together. Declaring Jesus is Lord. We're going to sing together. Putting the gospel on display so to speak. And all for the glory of God. And as we do this. As the band leads us, I am praying what Paul prayed in Romans 15. That we would continue to grow in this kind of unity as we submit to the Lord Jesus Christ. And we humble ourselves in sacrificial love for one another. To the glory of God. Father, thank you for this time. Lord, the service is not over. Lord, let us now lift our voices in one voice to King Jesus and let it be to the glory of God declaring that Jesus is Lord. In your name we pray.